Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. So the uh, question, you know, I'm looking at right now, Purdue Pharma is talking about declaring bankruptcy. Why? Because, you know, they don't want to be responsible for for killing millions or hundreds of thousands of Americans and the costs associated with that after their executives took literally billions of dollars out of the company. I mean, this is just absolutely nuts. This uh, piece from Common Dreams, after spending hundreds of millions of dollars convincing the American public that their painkillers are safe for chronic pain, the drug maker Purdue Pharma is going to file for bankruptcy. One of the people who is suing, Martha Healy of Massachusetts, said Purdue Farm and his executive built a multi-billion dollar business based on deception and addiction. The more drugs they sold, the more money they made, and the more people in Massachusetts suffered and died. Same thing happening with PG&E, which apparently was responsible for the Paradise Fire that killed, what, 78 people, as I recall? And they're looking at bankruptcy as a way for their executives and their company to avoid responsibility. So is it time to end corporate bankruptcies that are the result of crimes like Purdue Addicting America and PGE neglecting their maintenance of their high-tension lines for years and years in order to jack profits and pay their you know, dividends to their stockholders and you know, huge salaries to their senior executives? And instead of allowing them to simply declare bankruptcy and walk away, and we saw the same thing with the banksters in 2008, is it time to start prosecuting these corporate criminals who have already made off with billions. In fact, is it time to claw it back? On the line with us is Julio Rivera, the editorial director of Reactionary Times, a columnist with Newsmax, American Thinker, and townhall.com, reactionarytimes.com. You can tweet him at, oh yeah, it's Julio. Julio, welcome back. Hello, thank you for having me, but I agree with you on this issue, if you can find a direct line where there was a crime committed, in terms of these opioid-producing pharmaceutical companies, the one thing is I'd like to know what their intent was as they marketed these drugs. Out it was to, to make you know, money. For doctors, for you. It was to make money. I understand that. But did they know? If they knew, if you can uh, subpoena their records, 
their internal communications, whether or not these people were fully aware of how addictive these drugs were. And if they, they orchestrated that, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Now, Julio, you're right. And what happened, I mean, they rolled out OxyContin in 2000. They made $45 million in sales that year. By the end of that year, they were already getting reports from the field from physicians of people being addicted in as little as a week to their drug, which they were saying was you know, less addictive than any other painkiller. By 2010, this company on this drug, just the OxyContin drug, was bringing into the company $3.1 billion. And that was 10 years after they had been warned by doctors that this was causing widespread addiction. So, um, so here, I guess the question then, you know, if we're in agreement, Julio, which is a, you know, a rare thing, but it's, it's nice to hear, is the party that you're friends with, the Republican Party, seems to be relatively fine with this. In fact, during the two years that the Republicans controlled Congress and Donald Trump was president, they actively blocked a series of attempts to hold Purdue Pharma accountable and, and to hold hearings on this. And they're big advocates of these bankruptcy laws. They say that if, and this has been going back to Reagan, basically, you know, Ralph Nader was the one who championed this stuff back in the 60s and 70s, which is what led to Lewis Powell's famous 1971 memo, literally identifying Ralph Nader He's holding us accountable, corporate America, and we've got to do something about this. We've, we need to build out a think tank infrastructure. We need to take control of the courts. Yeah. We need, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know the whole story. Yeah. And, you know, why is it that the Republicans avoid this like the plague? Because, the, I well, mean, listen, these are not the only two companies. We have to have corporate bankruptcy. Not everybody's out there committing a crime or intentionally defrauding the American people. Sometimes things don't go right in business, and then companies have to restructure, and they do have to file bankruptcy. I agree. You know, if depending on what, how they file the bankruptcy, if this is a criminal matter where they can prove that sort of, you know, criminal intent, you know, that's a conspiracy at that point. And then, yeah, that's different. The damages will be handled completely different. There'll be restitution. People will go to jail, and it'll never happen again in our country. But for a regular corporation that isn't intending to, you know, lead directly to the cause of, you know, 72,000 people dying of overdoses over the last few years of this opioid crisis. I mean, if they're not doing anything criminally malicious, they should have the right for corporate bankruptcy. I don't understand if you're, is your argument against blanket corporate bankruptcy? No, my argument is against white collar executive immunity. I'm suggesting that, you know, if the company goes bankrupt or not, there, A, should be a way to compensate the victims. And I think clawing back some of the, I mean, literally the Sackler family there took billions of dollars out of this In, in the medical industry that makes these pharmaceutical companies more, more liable in these matters and not be able to be protected by bankruptcy. I don't have a problem with that type of legislation being written. No, Great. not at all. I am glad to hear that. I'm so glad to hear that. So let's apply that logic to another industry, for example. We know that there's another industry in the United States that is causing at least 10,000 deaths a year and hundreds of thousands of cases of asthma and that's the fossil fuel industry. They're promoting fossil fuels. I'm, <laughs> I'm dead serious. Tom. We know this. You know, car, exhaust, car exhaust is killing 10,000 people Listen, a year because we have an EPA, mostly through lung we cancer. Have an EPA. People are getting fined and sanctioned all the time. There's restrictions no. on what we can do, no. you know, from the, from the perspective. Yes, there is. You didn't I mean, let me finish my sentence, Julio. You don't know where I'm going with this. Okay. All right. Keep going. You know, you so see, you've got this industry that is killing people and, and, you know, they acknowledge it. We acknowledge it. The science acknowledges it. It's all out there. And there are alternatives to this, right? I mean, you know, we could be building. Yeah, but there's not alternatives that don't, in their initiation, require fossil fuels. Well, let me finish you my sentence. All these there other, there all these are other alternatives out there, and they are fossil fuels. You know, I drive a plug-in hybrid. Maybe once a month, 
If Louise and I take a long enough trip, my car kicks over into gasoline mode. The rest of the time, I'm driving on electricity, and it's created by Bonneville Dam. I'm literally carbon-free. And that could be true of of everybody in Portland. But these companies are not only promoting propaganda that this is silly and there's no problem there, and and supporting the whole social media thing of blocking Teslas, but they're also lying to us about the consequences of their product. Shouldn't they be held as accountable as the Sackler family and Purdue Pharma? No, no, it's absolutely completely different. It's a necessary thing that we need. The numbers don't justify what you're trying to say. You said that it leads to the death of 10,000 people. That's negligible, and I don't even know directly in what way do they contribute to well, the that's, death that's, of 10,000 That's the estimate, that about 10,000 people a year are dying from oh, specifically, specifically, this is, you know, Harvard University, specifically from cancers and, and lung diseases caused by inhaling the particulate matter that comes out of diesel and, and gasoline exhaust. Listen, and that's say, probably a very low number. From your body from pollen, you can develop cancer. There's a, that's the, I don't think pollen will do it. I don't think Pilot will do it. But why would you defend the fossil fuel industry when they lie? And we know that they're lying and they lobby aggressively to keep their product up there when they don't want, you know, competing products out there. Why would you defend them when you're they, they, not they, willing they to defend Purdue to Pharma? They, they, listen, fossil fuels are needed to create all those other industries. You're going to need all of them. Opioids are needed to, to deal with pain. Around. But what we're right, talking so, about, you know, I'm not, I think that Oxycontin should be on the market. A, a big, uh, Hang on just a second. wheeler that runs off of electricity, Go. good luck. Actually, it's entirely possible, and Tesla's already, you know, made test vehicles to show that it's possible. But well, not, you know, not right this second. If you know, we I, agree, I think we've got a little more than twelve years before the world ends, Tom. If, I mean, I think you guys got to stop. With no, the hang on just a second, Julio. If you and I are agreeing that there should be that oxycontin should be on the market, that there are people who are intractable pain and sometimes narcotics are the only thing that can deal with it, it should be on the market. Yeah, just it's at just at the end of life. At the end of life, if you're dying, you're terminal, and you just need that humanitarian. Just relief of pain, yes. Okay, so we're agreeing. Giving it out like candy. Oxycontin should be on the market, but a company that lies about it and inappropriately promotes it should be held accountable and including its executives on a criminal basis. And we agree that fossil fuels are necessary. I'm not saying fossil fuels should be done away with tomorrow morning. You know, we make plastics out of them, we make medications out of them. I think you're trying to apply the same (laughs) argument to two things that are just uh, just completely different, Tom. So, no. How are they different? Because we need fossil, we need fossil fuels for basic survival. You know, we actually literally do. I mean, think about it. If right now it's a ten below zero where I'm at right now, right. if we didn't have fossil fuels keeping my house warm, I'd probably be dead, Tom. So it's a completely different argument, and you need one to create the other. But in if you lived in go, Germany, Julio, where we're going to need where, fossil fuels. No, no, Julio. If you lived in Germany right now, where they did the hundred thousand rooftops, which turned into tens of millions of rooftops of solar panels, they they generated so much solar electricity now that they had to stop the program to rebuild their grid, a smart grid that could redistribute that electricity. Your home could be being heated by the electricity that the solar panels had captured. Sure, it could be. A lot of things could be, but that's not practical. You can't snap your fingers and turn America into that overnight. How did, you, so how did Germany do it? Practical. They did it through a big government I, program. They backstopped listen, the banks. Just like you told me last week when I brought up Venezuela, I don't care about Germany. We're talking about America and what we're dealing with here. In All our right, country. so what's so stupid about America? Why? I think it's the fossil fuel industry owning politicians and preventing actual change. Well, I mean, I don't think that the change that you're looking for is necessarily practical. I mean, I looked at some of these things in this green bill and some of these lofty goals are just financially, like economically, we can't sustain 
we can't move that. Is it that we're that too direction. stupid? We we can do it progressively. Don't get me wrong, but why are we going to spend ourselves into debt trying to figure out all these new things when we have? Because it'll put millions of people to work. Because because it'll re- well. because it'll rebuild our economy. Because of fossil fuels in part. <clears throat> because it'll put millions of people to work and it'll rebuild our economy. I don't see what's wrong with that. Well, I'm not saying that we shouldn't we shouldn't explore more. We should explore more. But I mean, I don't think it's, you know, this is basically we've gone off of the original argument here. No, this is the argument. Is it time to hold corporate America accountable? Mm. Well, listen, I'll tell you this much. Anybody who's a criminal in this country should be held accountable. So if you, whether it's opioid, you know, uh, producers, pharmaceutical companies sitting here and lying in the way that they're presenting their, their new drugs, they're, they're, they're uh, creating and inventing, you know, if they lie to people and they know how dangerous it really is. So if, care, if a fossil sure, fuel company like Coke Industries or ExxonMobil lies to people about climate change, then you think they should go to jail? There, there is no man-made climate change. The climate's uh, been changing for billions of years. Julio, thank you. Hang on just a second. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Rivera, ReactionaryTimes.com, his Twitter handle. Oh, yeah, it's Julio. Thanks, Julio. Thank you so much, Tom. Good Have talking with you. It's your one. Tom Hartman here with you. We were talking about how seriously and deeply the corruption within not just the Trump administration, not just within the Republican Party or, frankly, the the American political system, but as a consequence of Supreme Court decisions like Buckley versus Vallejo, First National Bank versus Bilotti, Citizens United, McCutcheon, that this corruption is now reaching down to the level of the absolute, absolute to the individual. Speaking of which... There's an entire industry that seems to be rather corrupt. On the line with us is Stephen A. Scheller. He's a prominent Philadelphia-based plaintiff's lawyer. He's an attorney. He's the author of a new book, Big Pharma, Big Greed, published by Strongarm Press. Scheller, S-H-E-L-L-E-R.com is his website. Stephen Scheller, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi. Glad to talk with you about my book and what's going on and putting out the corruption that we have is getting worse instead of better. And one of the biggest problems we have for the country is the Food and Drug Administration's failure and almost intentional refusal to properly monitor and protect the public from pharmaceutical drugs and devices. They seem to think their job is to protect the industries rather than the public. Is that a consequence of the revolving door of you know people getting a job at the FDA for a while and then going into industry or coming out of industry and going into the FDA? Or is that a consequence of, of corrupt legislation? Or I mean, how, how did this come about, Stephen? It's a combination of many things. The main problem seems to be that politicians way back in the Bush days got control of the FDA by appointing different people to different positions. For example, Janet Woodcock, who's heading the pharma division, and others. They're just a real problem. When Dr. Kessler was there, he used to protect the public. But when he left, we've had major, major problems. And Which uh, Bush administration was that? 
Bush won the first one. Yeah, the Bush the elder. So this is kind of the knock-on from the Reagan administration's uh, belief that government is not the solution to your problems. Government is the problem. And so, hey, let's put people in charge of government who are just there to profit themselves and their buddies. So exactly. How extensive is this? What what kind of actual impact is this having? I mean, are are Americans dying as a consequence of this? Yes, yes. That's a it's a very very serious problem, and my book points it out. You have the situation with thousands of cases pending in the United States. Our court system is being tied up by the companies being able to market these drugs that cause so many problems. Mm -hmm. And the combination of the court system being so favorable to big business and to the drug companies and certain state laws. For example, Johnson & Johnson is based in the state of New Jersey. The state of New Jersey, the courts have determined that you can't sue companies that are based there for punitive damages. So no matter how bad their conduct, the most you can get is maybe, and that's going to be difficult, some compensation, but not punitive damages to stop what they're doing. That's just one Therefore, there's no incentive for them to stop. I mean, the fines simply become a cost of doing business, don't they? Exactly. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card from the very get-go. We're talking with Stephen Schiller. He's the author of a new book, Big Pharma, Big Greed. Well, one of the big problems we have is some key information is not disclosed to the public on the drug Risperdal, which causes young children and boys to grow female breasts to have uh, a number of other problems related to their hormonal balance. And uh, females also, women, young girls also have the problem. Now, this is, Respiradol is a drug that used to be considered a, an old-line antipsychotic. It's now being used for ADHD, hyperactivity, aggression, label, right. a, whole, a whole spectrum of, uh, of things that, you know, would have been in the past dealt with by much less draconian drugs. I don't know what the proper word is pharmaceutically, but if I have that yeah. right. I kid people. I said, tell them when the Dodgers left Brooklyn, I was very depressed. And had those drugs been around I was in that time, I probably would have been put on one. Wow. <laughs> Luckily for me, they weren't. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, and, and sadly, we've got, I mean, this is, you know, pharmaceutical generation. There's there's so many. It, it really started with the ADD craze in the 90s. And uh, it, it, it's like, you know, whatever you whatever, whatever you go to the doctor for, you're going to walk out with a prescription, you know, whether you need it or not. I mean, we've seen this problem with the overprescription of antibiotics producing, all, uh, you know, along with uh, antibiotic use in factory farms, producing antibiotic resistant bacteria and things like that. So I, I guess the bottom line, my, my, my final question to you, Stephen Scheller, the author of Big Pharma, Big Greed, is what can the average person do about this or who should the average person be supporting politically who might be able to do something about it at the level of legislation? Well, frankly, they should support whoever's not supporting the companies that are, uh, let's call it like it is. Uh, the FDA, of, uh, the head of the FDA now is a guy named Gottlieb. Janet Woodcock is still head of the pharma division. If I was there, I would have fired her years ago. Mm-hmm. She is a danger to the public, in my opinion. And Gottlieb isn't doing much to protect the public. The opioid crisis was, and I say it clearly, created by the FDA's conduct. We would have no opioid problem had the FDA not done what it did about approving these painkillers without evidence that they either worked or that they weren't addictive. Uh, There was just a big 60 Minutes broadcast on that. 
And Philadelphia is one of the biggest problems in the country. We have hundreds of people who have died as a result of opioids last year. I think it was 1,200. It's a serious, serious problem. And my view, not only are the drug companies who sell the opiates at fault, but the FDA never should have approved them in the first place. And the reason they approved them is disgraceful. They don't work because they're dangerous. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest problems we have today. There we go. Uh, Stephen yeah. Scheller, the book, uh, learn all about it, right? The, the book is Big Pharma, Big Greed, the inside story of one lawyer's battle here to protect us from dangerous medicines and whatnot, protect public health. Scheller.com, S-H-E-L-L-E-R.com is the website. Stephen, thank you for dropping by the program today. You're welcome. It's great talking with you. I do appreciate it. My friends at X-Chair are at it again, constantly tinkering to make an already superior product even better so you can work in even more comfort and be that much more productive. Now you can enhance your X-Chair's performance and protect your floors with incredible X-Wheel blade casters. These urethane wheels are driven by butter-smooth, whisper-quiet ball bearings and are built to last. As if the X-Chair isn't comfortable enough, now you can add a set of X-Wheels and take your performance to the next level. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and pay as little as $30 a month. Seriously, for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee, you can take your comfort and productivity into the stratosphere by getting yourself an X-Chair. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked, guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code TOM for a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com, xchairtom.com. On the line with us is my senator, one of my two senators, Senator Jeff Merkley, one of the really genuinely great guys in the U.S. Senate, one of the true progressives, a a genuine progressive hero, a guy that I think would make a great president. And uh, Senator Merkley, welcome back to the program. Oh, thanks so much, Tom. Good to be with you. And I understand uh, that uh, you you made a decision here about whether to run for president. And uh, well, let me just hand it to you. I saw I saw your video this morning, and if you could recap the points you made in it, it was so brilliant. I was going to play it on the air if we couldn't get you live, because um, uh, you know. But but it's here. Let me hand it to you. Well, uh, uh, thanks, and uh, I've been uh, uh, fully exploring the 2020 primary, pondering how can I best use these few years that I have on the planet to uh, make the world a better place. Uh, Is it running for re-election to the Senate and fighting to elect others? Is it running for president myself? And I came to a decision that, in fact, I am not going to run uh, for the the presidency. I am going to run for re-election. It just comes down to this. We have these these three really big crises. We have a democracy crisis with gerrymandering and voter suppression and dark money. We have a climate crisis with carbon pollution driving climate chaos. And uh, we have a a crisis in terms of investing in the foundation Foundations for thriving families, healthcare, housing, education, living wage jobs. And, and uh, we can have the best president in the world, uh, combine uh, uh, FDR and JFK and whoever else your heroes are, and still get nothing done if we don't turn the Senate into a place that can actually function as a legislative body. And so I feel that's, that's where my uh, ability to, to be on the battlefield and a 
positive, uh, productive way is, is to help with that battle in the Senate. Well, I applaud you. And if, if there's ever anything that we can do uh, you know, with this program to help you in that work, just uh, give us a shout. What are the things, in your opinion, that are before the Senate, that are before you, that should be our highest priorities right now? You just identified three broad areas, but is there specific legislation in any of those areas that people should be jumping on board about? Are there any calls to action, things that you would like people to call their senators? The congressional switchboard is 202-225-3121 to promote. I know you've been doing a lot of work and been down to the southern border and you've been down to some of these child detention centers, for example. You have been a hero in highlighting that issue. And now we're seeing just the incredible damage that's being done to these children. Two of them have died now at the hands of the Trump administration. What's your list? Yes, so I really encourage people to help the House right now get key bills passed, even though at this moment the Senate will be a graveyard, I'm sorry to say, because Mitch McConnell is not interested in uh, taking on the issues of housing or health care or education or infrastructure even, for, for that matter, or living wage jobs. Uh, he's not interested in putting things on the floor that will address gerrymandering or voter suppression or, or dark money, all of which have to be uh, addressed. He's certainly not interested in, in taking on uh, climate through the very, we have a huge number of tools um, that, that we can deploy. Uh, so the House is going to be the place I encourage people to really push their House members. We need to lay out an agenda there that will set the foundation for the 2020 uh, battles to come. And you raise this issue of our treatment of migrant families. And so let me, let me pivot to that for a moment. I'm going to be going back down to the border to visit another uh, so-called temporary child prison in Homestead. It's a prison that's being expanded. I pushed for Tornillo to be shut down. It was shut down. I'm going to go uh, down to the, across the border into some of the encampments where we're shoving people back across the border. It comes down to this. We are treating those fleeing persecution around the world as criminals. And we should never treat people in that fashion. They These are, are refugees, are they not? They're refugees. They're refugees. They're refugees from war, from economic disasters, from natural disasters, from uh, religious oppression. They're refugees, and we are a nation of immigrants. We should understand and want those refugees to be treated as we would have wanted our ancestors to be treated, with respect and decency as they wait at an asylum hearing. And the children, I mean, we had in December 15,000 children in Trump's child prison system across the country. And we, he's, he's had these internment camps, and he wants to expand them. Uh, the, we're not even doing basic uh, health care when migrants come across the border, which is why those two children died. I went down with the Hispanic caucus to look into that. Turns out when, when the administration says they're doing wellness checks, that's not a wellness check. What they're doing is asking a room full of refugees if anyone needs assistance. That's, a well, that's what they call wellness checks. They don't take the temperature, ask the children when they last ate, ask if they're feeling ill, or any just the basics of a, of a, of a true wellness check. And uh, thus, uh, kid, and, and, and quite frankly, here's the thing. That ref, when you ask ref, a room full of refugees if anybody needs help, nobody speaks up. Because they're afraid of being separated from their family members, they're afraid of being singled out, uh, and so um, that's uh, that's another piece of the puzzle where just the Trump team is getting com completely wrong. But they are treating these refugees as political pawns, and they're willing to inflict trauma on children as part of a political strategy, and that is just an evil, evil thing. 
Yeah. Well, and it's not just a political strategy. I mean, you know, John Kelly came right out and said, um, basically, I'm, I, I, I'm not even paraphrasing, I'm rephrasing, but basically he said, if we can inflict enough pain on parents and their children, it will cause other parents with children to say to themselves, I'm not willing to go there and endure that pain. I'm not willing to take that chance. And, and that seems to me like it's so, such, such, so contrary to traditional American values that it's shocking. And yet the oh, Republican Party has wholly embraced it. No, absolutely. And he said that in March 2017 when the administration was uh, new and he was still a Homeland Security director. Now we have a Homeland Security director who says there's no no deterrence plan. There's no child separation policy. She just absolutely lies to the American people and lies to Congress. Uh, say, if I can, Tom, I wanted to pivot, if I, if I can, to sure. talk a little bit about one the, the Green left. New Deal. Yeah, go for it. You got it. This last uh, minute is yours. Here is, here is the heart of it. We have a massive carbon pollution problem driving climate change at, a, at an accelerating pace. It's hurting us everywhere. The Green New Deal says, one, recognize we have a big problem. Two, that we have to go uh, fiercely and boldly into uh, addressing it. And three, don't left, leave behind. And of course, we're creating millions of jobs taking on this challenge. Don't leave our frontline communities or our rural communities behind. That's the essence of it. That should make sense to everyone, uh, and we've got to do it. Yeah. I think, you know, more people, I used to live in Germany and get back there typically once a year, and, you know, they have solarized that country. I mean, it's just amazing. And, it's, and I grew up in Michigan, which is one of the cloudiest states in the United States, and Germany is the cloudiest country in Europe, and it's about the same latitude as Michigan, and they still, they have all this solar power, so it can be done, Senator. Absolutely. It can be done and it must be done. Yeah. Amen. Senator Jeff Merkley is website Merkley, M-E-R-K-L-E-Y dot Senate dot gov. If you don't know him, you don't know about the work he's doing, please check it out. You can tweet him at Sen as in Senator Jeff Merkley. Senator, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Great talking with you. We're going to pick up, you know, the topics that we've been talking about. And we're also going to get into um, the flu. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Everyone's talking about the decline in stock values over the last few months. If you've been listening to Lynette Zhang's YouTube show, you probably aren't surprised by the fall. Her fact-based research on markets, currencies, and economics is second to none. And her presentations have pointed to most every major downfall we've recently seen in the U.S. economy. Her video titled Just Before the Crash showed people the exact patterns to look out for and now has over 210,000 views and counting. Lynette Zhang has been on my show and works with my friends at ITM Trading. I highly recommend looking them up as they are pioneers in creating wealth protection strategies with gold and silver. If you're a strategic investor looking to protect your wealth or just hedge against the most volatile markets since 2007, then call my friends at ITM Trading at one 888 own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and join the top 1% who are now accumulating very specific types, dates, and qualities of physical gold and silver. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Tom Harmon here with you. There's a couple of things that I wanted to just lay on the table and have a conversation with you about. Denise Grady writing in the New York Times earlier this week that studies of a deadly form of the flu virus are going to resume. They were paused. They were suspended in 2014. This is research where they take a flu virus that may already be deadly 
and mutate it to make it more deadly so that we can figure out what are the things that make it more or less deadly and how can we create perhaps even an, a vaccine, an immunization against it? Because, you know, the last time we had a truly deadly mutation of the flu, it happened on a pig farm, on a hog farm in Kansas in 19, what, 16, 1917, and spread all around the world as our, it was called the Spanish flu. But that was because troops from, they were provisioning them and, and training them in Kansas near this hog farm, and they were getting their meat from there. And those troops were catching this flu, and before they had a chance to get highly symptomatic, they were being shipped off to Europe for World War I. And many of them went to Spain, and the flu went boom all across Europe, and then it came back to the United States, and it killed millions of people. And so these two research teams, one's in Wisconsin and the other is in Holland in the Netherlands, um, they had been, by our government and the Dutch government, they had been ordered to stop their research in, in 2014. And now they're being allowed to restart that research. And uh, because apparently they've, they've come up with protocols to, to deal with these viruses in ways, you know, the main concern was that they would develop a superbug and then it would get out. You know, one of the researchers would get accidentally contaminated and go home and their family would get it. And, you know, before anybody knew it, boom, it's out in the wild. Or that the virus itself might be being transported or something like that and it might get out. And those are legitimate concerns. But they think that they've got that nailed down. But I've got a larger concern here, and I think it's a really important one, and that is without a national health care system, with over 30 million people in the United States being uninsured, and another 100 million people having such crappy insurance with such high deductibles and co-pays that they tend not to go to the doctor when they should, we are sitting ducks for you know a flu epidemic or or frankly any kind of epidemic of a deadly disease we're just sitting here waiting for it to happen and you know i think that in the context of this you know the possibility of deadly pandemics you know epidemics that are worldwide other countries can deal with that they have national health care systems Mexico can deal with it, Canada can deal with it, Costa Rica can deal with it, Ecuador can deal with it, I, I think Colombia can deal with it, but we can't because we've got all these uninsured and underinsured people, people who fundamentally lack access to health care for anything other than screaming emergencies. And, they, and, and, you know, and typically when you get the flu at first, you don't think of it as a screaming emergency. It's a huge inconvenience and you feel terrible and you can't work for a few days, but you know, most people get through it. But they won't get through one of these deadly flus, and they won't get through, and they wouldn't get through the bird flu of 1918. In fact, there's even concern now that some of the graveyards talked about this on this program. Gee, I think it was a year or so ago. As climate change is continuing and getting far more aggressive, the, the farther north you are, the more rapidly the atmosphere is heating. Right? The the atmosphere has heated by five or six degrees Fahrenheit up in the Arctic whereas it's a little less than one degree at the equator. So the closer you get to the poles, the more, the more rapidly climate change is happening. And so what was happening, and we talked about this, like I said, on the program about a year ago, was that there were these graves in the northern parts of Europe and, the, and, and in central Scandinavia where people were buried during the winter with the Spanish flu 
and you know they broke the ground and they got them into into nearly frozen ground or frozen ground and and uh, and they got buried and the ground froze and it never thawed out and so it was like a deep freeze refrigerator and now that ground is thawing out and in fact in some cases the ground is liquefying it's got so much moisture in it that has been ice for thousands of years and now it's turning to water and so it's turning into something that kind of resembles quicksand and because the coffins are filled with air in addition to a you know a, a dead body these coffins are just rising up to the surface these bodies of people who died from the flu where the flu virus that infected them may still be viable are starting to appear i mean we could see a re, you know a repeat of the flu of of 1918 and we have no national health care system for this, which takes us back to Tim Wu's piece in the New York Times. When are we going to start doing the will of the supermajority, the vast majority, more than two thirds of Americans? And when are we going to stop listening to the idiots on network television, these pundits who sit on these so-called panels for people who, who, you know, frankly, should be reporting the news? Um, but instead, they're taking one story and saying, oh, let me get my panel on here and we'll talk about this for five minutes and we'll get the opinion of a Republican and a uh, conservative Democrat and we'll try to pretend that we're not actually, you know, it's just, it, it's pathetic. The whole panelization of news. And we're not hearing about this. And, you know, 75% of Americans want higher taxes on the ultra wealthy. When was the last time you heard a panel discussion about that? At least one that didn't ridicule it. As Tim Wu points out, 67% uh, of Americans want guaranteed paid maternity leave. Every other developed country in the world has this. We don't. The state of Washington does. Governor Jay Inslee made sure that happened up there. But the rest of the country, no, nah, sorry. 83% of us want net neutrality. No conversation. No conversation in the media, much less in Congress. 60% of us want stronger privacy laws in the context of that. And, you know, of course, you would apply that to things like Facebook. We're, we're now finding out the, that Facebook, apparently, if you have two-step authentication, you know, where you give them your phone number so that when you sign in, you put your password in, and then they send you a code to your phone, and you plug in the code so that they know for sure that it's you and you haven't been hijacked, that, that of course, they're taking your phone number and using it. You know, they're, they're, what are they giving it to their advertisers? Are they selling it? Are they using it to, you know, other people can search for it? I mean, it's, and you can't turn it off. You can restrict it to your friends, but not to, but you can't turn it off. It's bizarre. So 60% of us would like stronger privacy laws. 71% of us think we should be, be able to buy drugs from Canada. Um, the, uh, I, you know, I mentioned a couple days ago, the, the, the medication, the one medication that I do take, that's now like a hundred bucks a month for me. I can buy from Canada for, for less than $20 a month. And it's the exact same drug, making it in the exact same factory over in Hyderabad, India. 92% of us want Medicare to be able to negotiate lower drug prices. And yet, we're not hearing any conversation about any of these things in our media, and we're not hearing any action on any of these things coming out of Congress. And this, in my opinion, is an actual crisis. This is fueling anger on the part of average Americans. And Donald Trump in 2016 tapped into that anger. He said to Americans, you know, the system is rigged. And all across America, people were going, you bet your butt it is. 
You know, I, I, I want Medicare for all. And Donald Trump said, we're going to basically give it to you. He said, we're going we're gonna to do away with Obamacare and replace it with something that is better, that's universal, that's less expensive. Well, you know, the only thing that I know of that beats that criteria is Medicare for all, single-payer health care, or, or some variation thereof, one of the European systems. Donald Trump promised us that. He got elected based on that promise. Now, yeah, he lost the election by 3 million votes, but he, he won the Electoral College based on that promise. He said he was going to bring our jobs home. Now, it looks like the whole thing with China, he's going to announce some grand victory in the next week or so, and it's going to be a scam. It's, it's a Potemkin village. It's a, it's a, it's a phony baloney thing. It's, it's, you know, it's, made out of, it's a city made out of cardboard that, that's painted to look like a city sort of thing. And, you know, that's coming. So, I, I, you know, what is it going to take for, uh, and, and the reason, of course, and, and, and Tim Wu identifies this in the New York Times, the reason why Congress doesn't pass these things is because they're owned by these giant corporations. I would add the, the reason why the media doesn't talk about these things is, A, they don't want to offend the Republican Party because their whole model is having Republicans come on and talk. And B, many of these companies are their advertisers. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, not too much, Tom. No, this is a great topic. Um, climate change is a big driver of a lot of this. And I know, like in November 2017, they're about what they call the Asian longhorn tick is now on the um, continental United States. Um, mm. uh, Hemophysalis longicornis is its, is its scientific okay. name, but it is a um, it carries a bunia virus, a bunia viralis, and what made me think about that is okay. Even though it is all right, the hantavirus is me- is, a, is a member of that group. The bunia viralis. Yeah, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, the hantavirus is a virus that's transmitted by by the urine of rodents. And it's a real problem down in the south and the southwest, uh, the, the, you know, the, the kind of Texas, Arizona south, because you can inhale this stuff and get that virus and it, and can, it can kill you. Yeah, and it's the only one in that, of that virus group that is airborne. Right. And when I was in Korea, when I was stationed in Korea, unfortunately, um, I, I wor- well, I worked with this young kid who was a rock marine, Republic of Korea marine, yeah. when I was doing some special operations stuff. And we were around um, helicopters a lot. Well, this, um, you know, again, it's an airborne. The hantavirus is airborne. Well, he contracted Korean hemorrhagic fever, which is a, also a variant. But this kid's 23 years old in excellent physical shape. The doctors were bragging that they kept him alive for like 36 hours. Okay, this is extremely, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the the family of hemorrhagic viruses, that includes Ebola. Yeah, it does. It does include Ebola. And, you know, we have Fort Detrick, okay, and we have, um, you know, the U.S. Army uh, medical research. uh, But all that is reactive. To your point, we don't really have a proactive system. I mean, okay, it sounds great that we're state-of-the-art, we can react to any deadly uh, pathogen. But think about that. Think about, like I said, that kid lasted 30, like 32 hours. Yeah. All right. I mean, I want, you know, and you really need to think about it. Do you really want to brag about being reactive? 
yeah. something like that. I mean, yeah, and and, anyway. and we are unprepared for a pandemic. I mean, you know, if 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 uh, if a country that decided to go to war with us, you know, North Korea, for example, or you know, any country, was to drop some sort of a airborne disease in the United States, we've got basically a hundred million, you know, about a third of our population who are unwilling to go to the doctor unless they're at death's door because they can't afford the copays, and that's nuts. We need a national healthcare system. It's a national security issue. Dave, excellent points. Thanks so much for calling and making it. When was the last time you replaced your toothbrush? Do you always brush twice a day for a full two minutes? You know, paying attention to these good habits has a huge impact on your health. Introducing Quip, it's spelled Q-U-I-P, the new electric toothbrush that helps to fix the brushing habits that most of us get wrong. Quip does this with a lightweight and sleek design, simple time vibrations, and guiding pulses to give you a perfect two-minute clean. Bulkier electric brushes have awkward charging stands, modes you don't need, and cost five times as much. Quip starts at just $25, and you can get brush head refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for only five bucks, and shipping's free. Quip has been featured in GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of the year. So go to getquip.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, right now and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Tom. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash T-H-O-M. Getquip.com slash Tom. We have a trillion and a half dollars of student debt in the United States right now. Something that has never happened before in the history of the United States and does not exist in any other developed country. There's no other developed country in the world that has, uh, in many of them, there's no student debt whatsoever because college is not only free, but in countries like Denmark, they actually give you a stipend of 500 bucks a month to go to college. And I mean, it can be hard to get in because you've got to qualify. You've got to demonstrate the, you know, you've got the ability to do it. And for people who are not college bound, they have apprenticeships and things like that. But why don't we have free college in the United States? During the Reagan, when Reagan came into office, 80% of the cost of college was paid for by federal, state, and local governments and university endowments. 20% was paid for by tuition. And that's how I was able to go to college. I didn't graduate, but I was able to go to college working at a gas station and as a dishwasher at Bob's Big Boy. And pretty much everybody else was able to, too, back in that day. And now, after Bill Bennett started reversing things as Reagan's education secretary, now 80% of the cost of college is paid for with tuition and 20% is essentially subsidized. On the line with us is Charles Sauer, libertarian economist and president of the Market Institute. He's the author of a new book, Profit Motive, What Drives the Things We Do. It came out yesterday. Marketinstitute.org is the website. You can tweet him at Charles Sauer. It's S-A-U-E-R. Charles, uh, congratulations on the book publishing. Thanks, and thanks for having me back on. My pleasure. So uh, if we're going to do away with free college, uh, or, you know, then why not? Well, first of all, what's, what's your take on, on free college? Let me, let me get to that. Well, I, I don't think that there's such a thing as free college. Even when we talk about some of the countries you mentioned in the intro, college isn't actually free, and the student debt ratio is nearly the same. And when you talk, to, when you talk about what a student can possibly make when they get out of college, it's actually worse in a lot of countries. So if we take Sweden, for example, the student to debt ratio there is something, uh, the student debt is something like 85% of the students graduate with debt and their student to debt ratio is high as well. In the U.S., it's actually lower, even though they're giving away free education. 
the takeaway here is that free is never free, and that's like an economics 101 lesson for anybody. Wait a minute. So you, you can go to college for free in Sweden, but you're telling me that people graduate from college in debt. What is that, just from living expenses, from not earning a living while they're going to college? Yep, about 100% of the uh, students in Sweden take out student loans or receive grants. But because they have the free student loans, they treat it differently in their they treat education differently in their family. So yeah. most of the students are moving out. In the U.S., a lot of parents are subsidizing some of the living costs. And so we're just switching. Charles, you're doing a bit of a bait and switch here because I'm talking about the cost of education and you're talking about the cost of going to school. And those no, are different you're things. You're talking about the part of education that you want to make your argument. I'm actually talking about the full cost of education and what it costs. Well, that's fine. I get that. And, and, and I think everybody is clear that that's what you're talking about. What I'm talking about is the cost of education itself. And as you correctly point out, it's free in Sweden. It's free in pretty Pretty much every other developed country in the world. I remember when Louise and I were in Costa Rica, the, the taxi driver who drove us out to this place where we were shooting for this documentary from the airport. It was about a two-hour drive, got a long conversation. You know, what do you think about living in Costa Rica? Oh, I love it. You know, what's, what's great about Costa Rica? My son's graduating from medical school and I'm a taxi driver. How is that? Oh, we have free college here. And, and I have free health care, and everybody has, because, you know, this is Costa Rica. It's like, I don't get why we can't do that. So are you suggesting that we should keep our college system as it is, extraordinarily expensive with $1.5 trillion of student debt that is uh, all, by the way, paying, uh, or probably the vast majority of it, paying for tuition, because that's pretty much the only thing you can get many student loans for is tuition. It's not, you know, get student loans to pay for the cost of, and as you correctly point out, a lot of these people, uh, a lot of these uh, particularly young people, you know, live at home. I'm not saying that. And if you really look at the graphs on where the student tuition prices started increasing, this is something you again mentioned in the intro. They start increasing at the same time that the government started coming in and taking a part in education and taking a part of the expenses. And the schools are. Wait a minute, Charles. A California business. had free college up until Ronald Reagan became president. There, was no, there were no student loans then. I went to college in the 60s, in the late 60s, 1967, 68, and I have no recollection of anybody other than one friend of mine who was in a master's program who had any student loans at all. Yep, and the government hadn't fully taken over the student loan market at that time, right? There was no student loan market at that point. But but back to my and question. So true. are you now saying we have the government so, involved in the student loan market and what? So if you don't the want the government involved, then again, I do, I'm, we're, you're changing the subject. I'm not talking about the cost of living when you're going to school, and I'm not talking about the the student loan market. I'm talking about the cost of education, the cost of college, and I'm suggesting that one of the things that we know from the GI Bill, our experience with the GI bill and we can actually just look at any other country but one of the things that we know is that every tax dollar that we spent educating and sending to college people like my dad and my wife's dad every dollar that we spent as a country we got back seven additional dollars in tax revenue we wouldn't have had because those people earned more and therefore paid more in taxes than they would have earned had they not been college graduates so we know that this is not an expense this is an investment that returns a 700 percent return on investment why wouldn't we tomorrow morning say okay that's it the cost of, of of tuition and all we're talking about here is tuition the cost of tuition is now zero we are going to fully subsidize this. Why not do that? 
do you blame me for changing the argument, but then you add in a little subgroup, and this is not a little subgroup, I'm sorry, you add in one of the best subgroups to get a number from, the GI Bill, that is totally picking the numbers. You you admitted at the beginning that Denmark it was eight million people. That's that's GI a huge bill, cohort if you're if you're doing statistical is a, statistical is analysis. Cherry picking of students. The fact is, is you, if you do free universal education, it's not universal education. It ends up being the the smartest and the most elite that get in and the people with the most crony connections. And that's why the left wants it, because they're going to create the power. OK, so if you if you if you want to prove if you want to prevent there from being free college for all uh, or for anybody who can qualify to get in, if you want to prevent that, do you want to do away with K through 12, too? State, I, I mean, right now we have free it. K through 12. It's state sponsored. You want to do away with that? Like Betsy DeVos but, does? Just like your trip overseas, I've had many cab rides over here where the father is paying for the student to go to college in the U.S. And he's happy that he immigrated here. In fact, one of my last neighbors it has his kids going. Do you want to end free public? You know, you don't want to have free public colleges in the United States. And, and by the way, that's the, the proposal that's made by most progressives, including Bernie, is not all colleges have to be free, but just publicly owned institutions, you know, the University of Michigan kind of thing. But are you then, again, I'll ask the question, if you think that the state shouldn't be funding education above the 12th grade, do you think that the state should be fund, funding education below the 12th grade? I've seen a lot of good arguments that say that it shouldn't. I'm not going to go and make that my policy stance at this point, because just like Ocasio-Cortez uh, jumping the boat and not understanding that there needs to be some sort of progress to get us off of, in, of um, oil before we just start burning all the trees in the world, the fact is, is we can't go from where we're at to a private system tomorrow. It's something that would take thought well, this is what and, Betsy and DeVos is doing. I mean, in Michigan now, over half the schools are private charter schools. They're, they're you know, these, they, they, they've privatized education in Michigan, largely as a consequence of the efforts of her and the people associated with her foundation and her family. And she's now proposing $6 billion for more charter schools all around the United States. Do what they did to Michigan, do it to the rest of the United States. And as a consequence, public schools in Michigan, in many places, are collapsing, essentially. But so what I'm hearing you say is that you'd like to get there, but you want to make a transition. You don't want to just pull the plug tomorrow. No, I'm saying that it's worthwhile to look at. And if you're following your examples from the GI Bill, the numbers I've seen from the charter schools seem to mimic that. If students come out better prepared, that the investment in a charter school seems to be a better investment. So I, I understand your use of the GI Bill, and I'm glad that you're using it, but you should apply the same idea in the same conclusions to the charter schools. It's one of the problems with the left is there's too many arguments to keep track of, so they, they don't make sense when you, when you run them at each other. But the, the charter school argument is the same as the GI Bill. Charter schools do not have better outcomes than public schools do, Charles. There's no shortage of studies showing that. In many cases, they have far worse outcomes. And the biggest consequence of private, particularly for-profit charter schools, is that they gut the public schools, particularly when they pick and choose who they can take. And the public schools end up with the most expensive students to teach without the resources. And everybody says, oh, it should be the same. And it's not. I have seen the research on both sides here, and every time I've seen one that's come out against charter schools, it seems to be skewed in multiple ways. And the ones that say that the charter schools are producing the better students seem to be the ones with the good research. So families should be taking out loans to send their kids to fifth grade 
in addition to college? Look, as long as we have a better debt-to-income ratio than, than the countries that give out free education, then the answer is yes. Wow. Okay. Charles Sauer, his new book, Profit Motive, What Drives the Things We Do, marketinstitute.org. You can tweet him at Charles Sauer, S-A-U-E-R. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. This is the Tom Hartman Program. What do you think? Should we do away with public education? Pam in Challenge, California. Hey, Pam, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, you were talking to that man about the education, and he brought up a subject that I have a right-leaning friend that has also brought up, that if government wasn't involved in helping student costs, that tuitions wouldn't go up. The tuitions are so high because government is involved with student loans. The more money government throws towards helping student educational costs, that in turn causes colleges to raise tuitions. Right. So if this, is, this is the right-wing help, argument. The tuition would not go up. So what's the basis of that argument? Well, that's the right-wing argument, and, and their argument is that, you know, you throw money into a situation and starts chasing itself or something. I, you know, I, I, I don't understand the logic of that, because back when government paid 80% of the cost of going to college, and college tuition all across the United States, at public universities anyway, at, at MSU, for example, or U of M, 80% of the cost of college was paid for by government. And only 20% was paid for by tuition. So to say that if government is, or if students are now paying that 80%, but they're doing it with government money that is loaned to them, that that's causing tuitions to go up, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's a nonsensical argument. Uh, yeah, it didn't make sense to me either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Right. Thank you, Pam. Thank Appreciate you. the call. Bye. Max in Germany. Listen to Progressive Voices. Yes. Hey, Max. How you doing? Where in Germany Hi, are you? Uh, I'm in a little town outside of Rosenheim. Ah, okay. So what's up? Talking about higher education. Okay. And the costs in Europe. Yep. These people flat lie. I, uh, I went to the GI Bill in the U.S., and I also went to school in Germany. Mm-hmm. And in both cases, I came out debt-free. Right. Absolutely debt-free. Right. And the GI Bill, I once did the calculation... And it paid me about $20,000 in total for all my education. And in three years, the government got all that back in taxes. Sure. So it is a good deal. Yeah. And the the thing about these guys, flat lie. And my only thing when I listen to you is you take them as normal people, and they're not. They will do anything and say anything because they're just paid that way. That's the only, the yeah. only comment I wanted to let you know. Okay. First of all, well, he lied to you. He lied to you flat out. Yeah. Well, what Charles was doing was kind of a classic example of figures don't lie, the liars can figure. That uh, not to call Charles a liar, um, but you know, I was I talking about tuition, and he was talking about the cost of living when you go to school, and those are completely different things. And, yeah, like and in Sweden, there are liars. They're liars, damn liars, and statisticians. And yeah, there you go. There you go. Max, i got to move along. Thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you, and thank you for listening to us in Germany. Uh, Idris in Omaha, Nebraska. Am yes. I saying your name right? Yes. Two quick notes. I want to tell you, uh, my wife and I are millennials. We recently were married, and we were just discussing student debt, and collectively we have over $1,500 a month in student, in student loan debt. Oh, my God. And my wife asked the question, and I, I don't know how to answer it because maybe you can break it down, is if we're paying the government, how much of that student loan is private 
and how much of it is it to the government uh, in terms of if there was a government forgiveness policy towards the government owned of it, and if there was a one-time payment made towards the private part of it? Is that right. even feasible because we just don't understand the economics of it. I know yeah. we've gotten the Well, there's different rate. kinds of student debt. There's, there's student debt that comes from private lending institutions, and there's student debt sure. that comes from the federal government. It was during the Clinton administration that the Democrats basically very proudly announced that the government was going to start making a profit on student loans. And isn't that a good thing? And, you know, a lot of us were sitting around going, should the government even be in the student loan business? Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't think so. And then there's private loans that are government backed and so there's there's you know these different varieties none of them can be discharged through bankruptcy and that's that in my opinion that's a crime address thank you very much for the call it's uh, yeah. great to hear from you and i uh, wish you the very best greetings to your wife and family i hope you can get out from underneath your student loan debt and in fact i hope that all of the people in this country with student loan debt can get out from underneath it mike in salem oregon listening to 100.7 fm hey mike what's up I got property, vacation property in Central Oregon, like Billy Chinook. All them beautiful cabins are on solar panels. Is that because they're off the grid? Batteries off the grid, charging the battery house. Cable comes out off of the batteries, goes to a breaker panel in the cabin. And they have backup generators that are on propane. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 30 gallons will last a whole year. Yep. There you go. And and how come every house is in its own power plant? Right, or, or at least a community. I mean, why not do it at the level of the block, right, the neighborhood, and just wire everybody together and you know, so that there's some kind of balance there. It's not rocket science. This is like 1960s technology that they don't want to do now. Mike, well said. Thank you. Earl, listening on SiriusXM in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Earl, the last minute's yours. What's up? I live in Ypsi. I'm driving in Miami right now. I just came through the Keys. Climate change is here. I just want to make a simple statement. You had a caller that was concerned about the cost of the Green New Deal. Yeah. And anyone that is concerned about that, the point needs to be made. There is no economy on a dead planet, and we have no planet B. So you have a wonderful day, Tom, and thank you for taking my call. You're welcome, Earl. I think you said it, and you said it very well. And, and beyond that, the real big lesson that we need to educate so-called conservatives who are really just shills for industry, right? They're shills for the fossil fuel industry, the coal industry, the nuclear industry, pick your industry. They're just shills. But the poor people who listen to them and who listen to their front men who go on TV as panelists on news shows the thing that we need to educate them about is that these are not expenses. They are investments. If we invest in a Green New Deal, not only do we put millions of people to work, but we build an energy infrastructure that will produce electricity and thus power and economy well into the future and will produce a return on that investment that is probably not even 10 times or 100 times. It might be a 1,000 times the original investment in terms of the return. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. As Barack Obama used to say, as Bernie Sanders used to say, it's not a spectator sport. It requires you. So please get out there, get active. There's so many things, so many ways that we can all pitch in. Tag your end. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. 
For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.